Good evening. Great to be back. After the two weeks I wasn't here, I was in Israel, as you know. And we had a, another amazing weekend seminar. It's amazing how two days of lecture changed the life of so many people. All you, all you have to do is to eat your heart, but it's not thousands of people. You get between 100 and 200 people to the seminar, and you see such a change in the way they look at life, and Torah and mitzvot, and how they accept on themselves to keep mitzvot. One guy after the other gets on the stage, I never know what Shabbat means, I'm starting to keep Shabbat, and another one, and another one. And then women come, they're going to dress mothers, I cover my hair. All kinds of things like this. It gives you a lot of energy. <coughs> Excuse me. But then, then you go back to the everyday life and you see reality. What's the reality? We're living in a time that the corruption of the government and the low level of the people in the world are jeopardizing the safety of the world. Not just Iran and the Muslim terrorism, uh, terrorists. That's also a threat to the world. North Korea, Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, and there's a list of problems. But they are the not top priority risk to the world. The real risk to the world is that our nation the secular side of our nation who runs the country and runs the army and runs the court and the justice system, if you can call it justice, is going lower and lower and lower to the point that they won't be able to survive much longer. We are in a very close to a total collapse of all the systems of morality, of ethics, and uh, you're probably wondering why did I start my lecture with that? Because in Israel, two days ago, something that happened, it's for the first time, no one ever imagined that something like this can ever happen. But what just happened now is shocking the entire justice system of Israel. What is it? As you know, the liberal lefties, they give their life to fight the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, to put him down. Because he's in power for many years. He's the leader of the right, if you can call him right. In my opinion, he's average, it's middle, he's not even right, but he's the leader of the right wing, meaning these groups of right parties all joined together and he's their leader. Okay. But they do everything they can to break him down, to bring him down. They find every little thing about him. He received cigars for free. He received whiskey for free. He received all kinds of gifts from rich people. It's corruption. Okay, it is corruption. If you run a country and rich people give you gifts, you have to be smart enough to know what's behind it. Tomorrow they come ask for a favor. So Menachem Begin, Allah Shalom, will never accept gift. 
Uh, יצחק שמיר, הוא לא היה אפילו רליגיוסי, הוא כופר. Not, nothing to do with religion. He would never accept gifts. These people had integrity. Benachem Begin was Shomer Shabbat. He loved religion, Tanakh. He learned a lot of Tanakh. He was a very decent man. So we're not surprised. He was a man of a book, man of morality, more man of ethics. But even Yitzhak Shamir, who had nothing to do with Torah, he had enough honesty never to accept bribe or any gifts from any rich people or never to sit with the rich people and run the country when you have to feed them and take care of their interests, like here in America, like the pharmaceutical company and the weapon company. The, they run the country. They own the president. They give him tons of money before the election. Once he gets elected, they come to cash out on their gifts. They're not giving money for free. They pay for all the campaign and everything, and then later on they come and say, okay, now you owe us. And the presidents, they pay them. They change the laws, knowing it's going to cause people to die, and many people will not receive the right medicine or receive a medicine that will basically cause them all kinds of arms. And the presidents have to close their eyes to it. Why? Because they owe them. So it's obviously deep corruption. But this is just the introduction to the, what I'm about to say. Imagine now they arrested few people who receive bribe. How much? One billion shekel bribe. You understand what it is? It's almost $300 million bribe. The head of the communication company in Israel, Bezek, is a suspect for receiving one billion shekel in bribes. Nobody knows all the details yet. So he's in jail, and another girl is in jail, and his son is in jail. There's a group of people are in jail. That all, it's, it was all scam. But guess what? The woman, the judge that runs the case, what would you say if I tell you she exchanged WhatsApp text with the prosecutor on the case on a daily basis? Except he's telling her what to do. The prosecutor is a friend with the judge. They laugh together about the trial. And the reporter exposed their text. And he said to the judge, you can definitely give them two more days in jail to extend. I will ask for three. You will agree for two. He said to the judge. And she said, well... You're going to have to pretend that you're surprised, he said to her. She said, I'm practicing on it. Don't worry. LOL. LOL. People's life are on the line here. They may see 20 years in prison. Who knows what? It's a serious trial. Can bring the prime minister of Israel down. Can give Israel to the liberal lefties and to the enemies of Israel and to the end of the Hamas. And they put a, a stupid woman to be a judge. You understand what's going on? And she ex exchanged jokes with the prosecutor of the case who tells her how long to extend the jail time. Do you understand what happened when the justice system is done by rotten, wicked, evil people and not by the way of the Torah? Now I want to ask you a question. In a normal country... What would happen? All the citizens of the country would have to go and burn this court. 
Not when people are there. In the middle of the night. Not to kill anyone, God forbid. But to burn the place. To show. We don't want anything to do with your sodomized judges. You're all rotten, wicked. We don't want anything to do with your justice system. Why nobody does anything? Because the people already got used to the corruption. It's a way of life. You cannot get any permit without bribing the town. Even if you did everything legal. The inspector come. Why this is here? Why this is here? You have to add sand here. You have to bring a truck of sand here. You have to move this piece of wood. Over here, it's not the way it should. Stop, they make up stories. No, it's exactly... Over here, you went one inch. It's not exactly straight. Bring down the wall and make it straight. But the neighbor doesn't care. We care. You understand? Listen, we will see what we can do for you. But you have to understand us, right? He want 10,000 shekel. If you're not going to give him 10,000 shekel, he's going to make you lose 100,000 shekel. Blackmail. And he represents the authority. Just like in Turkey, in Egypt, in Mexico. In Mexico, when a cop pull you over, you give him $5 and he let you go. Israel is not that far behind. The cops, you're not going to be able to bribe yet. Not yet, at least. But the people who want the show, I don't want to say all, because I don't know all of them and I don't know all the details, but many of them are very corrupted. You're wondering, who knows how much more money they steal from us? Israel has very high tax bracket. You pay 40%, even more than 40%. So much money people pay, there is 17% tax on everything you buy in a store, not 8 Here, 8 people go crazy. 8% on everything you buy. Over there, 17% used to be 18 now it's 17. You understand what's going on here? So if you buy something for $1,000, $170 goes to the government on top of it. Multiply by billions of sales and 40% income tax and all kinds of other fees, non-stop fees. Why? Everybody thinks to pay for the weapon. You need weapon. Why you need weapon? Every missile you shoot against the rocket of the Hamas. The Hamas make the rocket on their own, in their garage. Does not even cost them $100 for a rocket. To blow up the rocket, you have to spend $100,000 to blow up a $100 rocket. Because it may kill someone. It may fall in a gas station and explode the place. So you have to shoot a Patriot, which costs fortune, to stop $100 that is flying in the air. And it could be sometimes 300 a day, 200 a day, 100 a day, 50 a day. They shoot in not one or two. It's non-stop. Remember the last war. And keep, you have to keep shooting missiles. It costs you millions of dollars sometimes per day. Not to, be, not to get hurt. Why do you need this? Because 70, 80% of the people mechalel Shabbat. And there's so corruption, and there's no mikveh, no nida. Nobody cares about nida. Nobody learns. They fight the yeshivot. They make fun of the rabbis. 
They bring down Talmidei Chachamim, make jokes at them. The rotten lefty liberals, traders on television, non-stop brainwash the people, destroy the Jewish soul, the children, destroy them from young age, destroyed all of them, make them whole Torah haters, make half of them gays, make them exposed to drugs, to movies, with dirty cursing, with horrible gay material in the cartoons, in the news, it's all spilling blood of people, non-stop, non-stop murdering people with their mouth and the fake and lies that they put headlines, which are all lies to create trading. And these little children, Jewish souls who comes into this filthy place, they grow under this influence. And then you wonder when they're 18 why they hate religion and they don't want to hear anything from Shabbat and they make fun. This is a whole, it's like an industry of rotten, wicked people that cooperate all together to destroy the Torah and Hashem. That's all they have. That's what they have in their mind, 100%. So you understand what's going on? Did you ever imagine when you go to court and you have a judge sitting there that is exchanging text with the prosecutor behind your back? Do you know anything more filthy and dirty than such a thing? Do you know what would happen if it happened here in America? Oof, who knows what would happen here? Probably would cause riots. If, imagine if it would happen in the south over there by the Nazis or by the minorities and they find out that the white judge and a white Jewish prosecutor are together in a scam to send a black person into prison and exchanging text and they will be on CNN. Imagine what would happen here. Not a beep in Israel. Everyone is shocked. Everyone is talking about it. No riots. No demonstrations. At least go and stand by the court for a week and tell these judges what they deserve. Not all judges are like that. I, I, my cousin used to be a judge. He, he retired from being a judge, went back to be a lawyer. It's a downgrade. All his life he dreamed to be a judge. And he was, yeah, they, you know, the lawyers, they give a mark to the judges in different things. He got the highest mark in everything. I think from zero to 10, in everything he got 10. Why? Very honest person, very decent. Even when you want to talk to him, he said, talk to me through the system of the court, that it's all documented. Why, well, you're my cousin. I don't want anyone to think that people are calling me and speaking to me about cases. It's very, very clean. Not religious. But I say, if at least someone has to be a judge in a court, you want guys like this. At least they have some integrity and honesty. So he quit. I don't know what's his reasons, but he, he claimed there was some racism over there. Sfaradi, some Ashkenazim gave him hard times there to stop his promotion, even though he was very qualified. So he gave up. He went back to be a lawyer. Lawyer makes 10 times more than a judge anyway, unless the judge takes big bribes. That's a different story. But a lawyer can make a lot more money. Criminal lawyers, they make big money. One way or the other, when religious people say we don't recognize the authority of this court to judge us because you all Sodom and Gomorrah, it's more accurate today more than ever now. If there was any doubt about it, everybody saw now. Anyway, 
that was the bad news. The good news, finally, after a few months of work, as you can see here, my, my first book came out. It's, so far, it's in Hebrew. It's, uh, I cannot start standing here and praising my work or my assistant work, but I can promise you one thing, and it's recorded, that every person that would read this book, it's about 250 pages, every person that would read this book, his life will never stay the same. I'm talking secular people. And also religious people. It will help them a lot. And the book, it starts with recommendation of the biggest rabbis in Israel, some of them, about some, my work and activity and the, the book itself. And then it's the introduction that I wrote, which soon we're going to have it all in English. But right now it only came out in Hebrew. And now, just to give you an idea about the index of the book, because this book is the perfect gift to buy to anyone you know in your family, in your, f your friends, in work, everyone that speaks in read Hebrew. So far Hebrew. Maybe in a month or two it will be already in English. But everyone you know, that reads Hebrew and is not yet religious, this is the perfect book for them. What is it talking about? First chapter, verifying the validity of the Torah and Judaism as a divine religion. Is it worth to check the truth a day or two before you miss up your life? How do we know there's a creator to the world? What is evolution? Is it true? There's any truth in it? A real, authentic, divine Torah, divine information, healthy common sense, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Who has the truth? The merit to be born as a Jew. If people would only know, the greatest asset, the greatest asset in the history of the world, the power of the truth. That was chapter one. Chapter two is now going into more Musa. The importance of observing the Sabbath. The story, some of the stories about some atheists that I had with them over the years. <clears throat> I like my life like this. And... How come righteous people suffer and wicked people sometimes don't? Where is the justice? I am religious in my heart, Rabbi. He has a good heart, but he's not religious. It's a very common claim. You are too extreme. We'll address that also. The foundation of all foundations people of lies. Laugh, what's the, what, how do you say it? Who laughs last? Yes. You should fear your God. The judgment measurement. To die from embarrassment. You are, you are being filmed constantly. Drunk, but not from alcohol. I don't think so, Kvodarav. How would you react? The destruction of the internet. The level of the Chachamim. 
and the tragedy of disrespecting them. Chokhmah binavadat, with intelligence, wisdom, and knowledge. Ignorance. Oral Torah. Enod milvado, there's nothing but Hashem. Happiness, frustration, and what's in between them. The problem and the solution to all the problems in life. The punishment and the difficulty as a gift. Ainara, the reasons for all the tragedies in the world. Lashonara, racism and disagreements. Anger, Parnasa, making a living. The resurrection of the dead that happened already and the one that will happen. Who controls who? Law and ethics. That was the second chapter. The third chapter, you have love and desire, verse desire, and what's between them. Spiritual fire, righteous or beautiful, when you choose a wife. Modesty of the women, mixed events, hair cover, family purity, children of Nida, the secrets of Zugiyut, husband and wife, to know the laws of the game. Chapter 4, the way of repentance, Elul is here, preparation for the judgment day is coming. Wake up before the game is over. Judgment day is coming. A deal of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? One miracle that God will do for me and I will become religious. The power of repentance, temporary repentance, is it worth something? It's not so hard. A person versus the world in his environment. The weapon against the evil inclination. How not to be a robot and to enjoy servicing the Torah of Hashem. The reason that we become called an indifference in Avodat Hashem. The best tip in life to become stronger in spirituality. Confidence in Hashem. The reason why life is so difficult. Adam la'amal yulad. Laziness. The level of a person who is doing zikui arabim. Influence other Jews to make tshuva and to become closer to Hashem. What's his reward? What's the importance of it in Shamaim? Now, as you can see, I'm giving you only headlines, you know, but each chapter has a lot in it with stories from life, things that actually happen, lots of the miracles. And after a person reads this, first he sees all the proofs. Then he goes into every question he ever heard in his life. Basically, every question that people ask, the answer is in, book, in this book. Not that there's now other books that are good. Yes, there's a lot of other good books out there. But this book is a little bit unique, more than others, for one reason. 
because it brings into it 24 years of experience, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. It's accumulation all into one book. Baruch Hashem, I have a lot of material written that we can write next few more books. But this one we wanted to start with because it's the most precious one. And you're going to see wonders. If you know people that have patience to read, there's not one page that is boring here. We chose, we had, we could have made the book ten times thicker. We wanted to keep it as short as possible. But there's going to be only things that everyone agrees that is very, very interesting. We reviewed a few people. There's a lot of comments. We made editing. We took some things off. We add some things on. And uh, Hashem, you know, it's all from Shamayim. It's very, very possible that it will make a revolution. <coughs> There's one advantage by reading a book as opposed to listening. When you usually listen, there's always interference. Phone calls in a car, this, GPS. It distracts you from your, from your thinking. But when you're, in late, when you're in bed alone or in a couch on Shabbat and, and it's quiet after the meal or before, you sit and you read a few pages, it absorbs very well in your brain because there's no interference and you focus in the book. Avodya Yosef, when he was learning, if people were talking next to him, he didn't even realize they're in a room. You know the famous film. The Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, he was standing almost 20 minutes next to Avodya Yosef with all his bodyguards. And he was so deep in the Gemara, I didn't realize he's standing next to him. Such an embarrassing moment. And the bodyguard said to the prime minister, what's going on? He says, don't disturb the rabbi. But he didn't realize it's going to be now another 20 minutes. <laughs> he's already into it now. One minute, five minutes, ten minutes. And nobody disturbed him. He, he did not realize. When he realized he was standing next to him, wow, I'm sorry. <laughs> just to show you how it occupied the brain of a person. So, enough with introduction and presentation. Let's talk a little bit about the upcoming holiday, Purim. On Wednesday night, 48 hours from now or less, we're going to read the Megillah. Megillah Esther. The Megillah Esther when you read it, if it was up to me, I would write on the front page, not for fakers and liberals and lefties Jews. I would not give them permission to open the Megillah. Why? Because the Megillah is the total opposite of everything they preach. i give you an example. The lefties and the liberals, they're very upset if you execute a terrorist. They went crazy when the Israeli soldier shot the murderer on the floor. Why? They wanted the Israeli soldiers to take a risk that maybe this murderer will pull another gun or has an ex explosive device that he can press the remote and kill everybody. We should take a risk after he stabbed some people and killed them and he's laying there with a knife. Don't kill him. Take the risk that he will blow all of you up Take care of him, bring him to the Israeli hospital, spend a million dollars on him, make an operation, put something in his, uh, all kinds of implants for him to save his life, put him in a jail with a plasma television and beautiful meals and chicken and Israeli yogurt. 
and let him get a college degree that when he comes out of jail, he will be the head of the Hamas and kill another 500 Israelis. That's what the liberals want. They don't want power to defeat these murderers. They want to help them to defeat us. They don't even know what they're doing, some of them. So when they read the Megillah, you'll be surprised. They're already going crazy now. Why? Who knows what part of the Megillah drives them crazy? The liberal Jews. Which part of the Megillah drives them crazy? One, that they had to hang Haman and his other Nazi sons. So they hung ten Nazis. It drives them crazy. Barbaric. It's so barbaric. Why did they have to hang them? Okay? That Haman prepared the tree for Mordechai, the chief rabbi of Israel, to hang him. And in the end, Hashem turned it around that he got what he deserved. It drives them crazy. What's the next thing that drives them crazy? I don't think they care so much about the party. They care mainly about helping the enemies. So what part of the Megillah drives them crazy? No. That in the end, the Jews made a pogrom and killed 75,000 anti-Semite Nazis around Persia. The Jews got permission from Achashverosh to take revenge against all the Nazis that wanted to kill them. That's how the Megillah ends. They went crazy. It's a genocide. The liberals make such damage that in Iran they wanted to destroy the grave of Mordechai and Esther after they listened to them. Because they talk on the media everywhere. Now with the internet it goes to, the, to our enemies. And after 2,500 years that our enemies, the Muslim Iranian that wants to destroy all of us and they're not even hiding it, not only did not want to destroy the grave of Mordechai and Esther, they took care of it like you take care of diamonds. They took care of the place as a holy site. Now one parliament Iranian stood and said, why are we even reserving this issue? We have to destroy it. Why? These Jews, they kill Persians. Why we give respect to them? They got into a catch-22 here. These Muslims, since their religion is all man-made, and it's full of thousands of contradictions, you cannot count the list, how many contradictions and mistakes they have. So here is one of the mistakes. They adopted the Torah and the Tanakh, and the New Testament, and they claim Muhammad is the last prophet. So they adopted all three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, right? But there's a problem. Why is the problem? I'll tell you why it's a problem. The problem is that the Tanakh, a part of the Tanakh is Megillat Esther. How the Jews got permission to destroy those Persians for wanting to destroy the Jews. Like the Nuremberg trial. United States trial the Nazis here. In the United States, after the war. So now, 
the Iranians that decided to adopt Islam. They're not Arabs. So they really had nothing to do with Islam. They're not children of Muhammad. Saudi Arabia, all these tribes, okay, some of them are his family. But the Persians are a different nation. They're not children of Ishmael. So they adopted Islam, like Turkey, like Afghanistan, like Pakistan. They have nothing to do with the Arabs. It's different countries, like in Africa, Nigeria, in some other countries, Indonesia. Nothing to do with Ishmael. Ishmael is Arabs. All the countries of the Arabs. The rest of the Muslims have nothing to do with Ishmael, even though today it's all gone mixed. You don't know who is who. But this is it. So now the Iranians adopted the Islam. They became Muslim. But a part of Islam is admiring Judaism and the Tanakh. When they speak about King David, they write, peace be on him. When they write about Yaakov Avinu, that his name is in the Torah Israel, they write, peace be on him, peace be on Israel. Why? It's a part of the holy book of God. Then they come to the part that the Jews destroyed their fathers in Iran, in, in the old ancient Persia. So they have a conflict here. On one hand, we admire this book as the book of God, and we say that it's part one of our religion, and we just had part two, and now we're reading in the book that we are the bad people, we are the wicked that God hates, and the Jews are the one he loves, and we wanted to kill them, and they killed us. So now what are we going to do now? Should we follow our heart, or should we follow the truth? Do you understand? Until now, they didn't make a beep. Over 2,000 years. But the Jews, the Jews has to, of course, to ruin everything, these lefties. And they started to complain against the Megillah. And they get an idea. Where do, you, where do you think they get all their ideas from? From the lefty media in Israel. They are the one who makes all the damage. Where do you think BDS came from? It's all run by Jews. To destroy Israel, to put Israel in boycott. Boycott Israel, put Israel on the ban. It's all liberal lefties, Erev Rav. Why do I talk about them now? Let's see who is clever here. What's the connection between them and the parasha? Now we're going to read on Shabbat. Huh? What's the connection? Who made the golden calf? The Egyptian converts that Moshe took out of Egypt. Go down from the mountain because your nation made an idol worshipping. Your nation, not mine. Your nation, the nation that you took out of Egypt based on your own opinion. Without consulting with me first, I would have warned you. But you took them out and they have this ideology of bowing down to animals, worshipping animals, and they make this golden calf. Now you're going to have to deal with that, not for a day or two or a generation or two. They will eat your heart until a second before Mashiach comes. It's already 3,300 years we suffer from them. Now you understand why there are so many traders in our nation? Why there are so many Libras, lefties who voted Obama first time and second time? 
why most of the Americans say that they don't even care about Israel, and they don't care about intermarriage, and they don't care about gay parades, and they don't care about God, and if they care about religion, they choose the reform way, which is totally nothing to do with religion. Where does it come from? Where? This is the answer. Those are the filthy souls that came from the Erev Rav. They're constantly being reincarnated in every generation to give us hard time. The followers of the Torah and the followers of the truth. And it's going to be like this until the Mashiach would be revealed. They will arrange a war to come and fight against him. That's what the Zohar says, Rabotai, I'm not making up things. I know it sounds hard, but I'm not making up anything here. Do you know what it means? It means that hundreds of thousands of them will join together in unity to come fight against Mashiach to kill him, that he should not come and save the religious Jews. What, the religious Jews were right? Cannot be. They're right that such a thing, Mashiach, we made fun for who knows how many generations we made fun. We made fun. You believe there's going to be Mashiach? You believe it's going to be the resurrection of the dead? You stupid. You primitive. All of a sudden it's happening. It's all over the news. What do you think they're going to do? They make a, a, a merit. They come to rebel. The good news is that the Mashiach doesn't have to move a finger. He begins to say words of the Torah, psukim, verses, and they all go on fire in one second. Imagine hundreds of thousands of traders. They all go on fire in a second. Imagine this. This will be the final salvation, not like the one in Egypt. The Gemara in Yerushalmi said, all the holidays will be dismissed. What does it mean? Except Purim. Purim will never be dismissed. Why? It's very strange. Why Pesach will be dismissed? What does it mean be dismissed? Don't get the wrong impression. We're still going to have to keep all the mitzvot of the Torah. Now one mitzvah will ever be cancelled. That's a guarantee. This Torah will never change. So what, what does it mean will be dismissed? Meaning they will be dismissed from their importance, from their significance. Pesach right now is a very significant holiday, the holiday of the freedom. We came out of Egypt and we became a nation, we became the children of God, we got the Torah, we came to Israel, we built the temple. We're reviving the Torah every day, we fight for the Torah, we die for the Torah. Hagacherut, the holiday of the freedom. But the holiday of the freedom will be nothing compared to the real salvation when Mashiach comes. Because when we came out of Egypt, besides the fact that only 20% got saved and 80% died over there, because they did not have confidence in Hashem to come out of Egypt, and they died in the darkness, <coughs> in Makat Choshech, with the Egyptians. So... Only 20% got saved. But besides that tragedy that 80% of the nation died in Egypt after, what, after 86 years of slavery, 210 years of exile, 
from them 86 years they were slaves, about four generations. Father, son, grandfather, and a father of a grandfather. Four generations were slaves in camps. They took away their property, they killed their children, they destroyed them mentally. And after 86 years of such suffering, like in Auschwitz, just like in Auschwitz, what was their end? Come with me to the desert. I'm going to give you the Torah and take you to Israel. We're tired. Leave us alone, please. We'll, we'll follow you here. We are, we are tired. We're not, in a, we're not in a mental state now to take another journey, another trip to the desert. Let us go back to our home in Cairo, in Alexandria, in all these Egyptian places. Let us go back and rebuild our home. That's, nobody will mess with us now after what God did to them. That's it. What happened? Hashem said, I have no need in you. I didn't bring you to the world to be like them. You want to stay with them? Stay with them? Go to hell with them. That's basically what happened. But the ones who came out, the one who came out, but the one who came out, right away, war against Amalek. That's what Purim is about. Amalek. You have to understand one thing. Every time before Purim, we read Parashat Shkalim. Parashat Shkalim. And after that, before, Mamash, before Purim, Parashat Zachor. Why we read those two things before Purim? Shkalim, Machatzit Shekel, and right after that, Parashat Zachor. Why does it have to come before Purim? The answer, Haman counted money to Achashverosh to give him the ring, the stamp, to make a holocaust to the Jews. And he got the stamp. And he already stamped the letters. And he sent it with riders on horses to 127 countries that they were in charge. And there was no internet. There was no way to publish a dismissal. Case dismissed. No. It already went to millions of goyim they got a note they hang it everywhere in this date Amman made a, a lottery and it fell on a day of Purim but next year meaning everything was in slow process because there was no media no television no radio no telephone no Facebook no internet nothing so everything is very primitive you have to send letters with horses until they get the letter with the stamp of the king they have to hang it until all the people will see it. And it goes from word to mouth. It's a year. Preparation. We're lucky that there was no internet back then. If there was internet, Haman would execute them within a week. He wouldn't wait a year. He had to wait a year until all the goyim will get the instruction that they have permission in that day to find Jews and just kill them. And they are not subject to any lawsuit or any punishment. That the government give permission to some of the citizens to kill other citizens. It's not something that happens every day. When everything was already signed and the Megillah say, Once there was no record ever that something that was signed by the signature of the king, meaning this ring, that was ever cancelled. Ever. You need a, such miracle here. So he gave Shkalim money to Achashverosh 
We do the mitzvah of machatzit ha-shekel. Zecher le-machatzit ha-shekel. Zecher. What does it mean machatzit ha-shekel? Right here in Parashat Kitisa, it begins that Hashem said to Moshe, make sure every one of the Jewish people, they take half a shekel, rich, poor, no one can add and no one can decrease. This is good for everyone. Even the poor people can give a machatzit ha-shekel. What do they used to do with that? That's how they count the people. I don't want to count them like this. One, two, three. It brings Ainara. People can die. If you count people like this, it can, it can create an epidemic. It happens in the time of King David. That they counted the people with the finger. One, two, three, ten, twenty. And they started to die with Ainara. Ainara, it's a killer. So what happened? So they count the coins. Like this, they know how many people are. But why machatzit a shekel? Why not a full shekel? It's also no big deal to give a shekel. Hashem wants to show a person they have to be ready to give half of what you have to Torah and to Torah learners and to help the Jewish nation. 10% it's maaser, but tzedakah, you have to give a lot of tzedakah. Half of what you have, at least half is yours, Hashem. Make it 51%. That when you die, you say to Hashem, you know what? Most of what you gave me, I gave back to tzedakah. Most. 51% it's most. If you're poor, you give 10% minimum. No problem. But if you have money, you make millions, you make hundreds of thousands. Why giving only 10%? It's a joke. Why you make $2 million a year and you give 200000 only, you keep yourself $1.8 million? You're not embarrassed? Your brothers and sisters are dying. They're going to be destroyed for eternity. And you accumulate your bank account with tens of millions of dollars that you're going to take with you to where? Where is it going to go in the end? Ordinary people, 10%, that's what they can afford. They give 10%, that's it. Some people even cannot, cannot afford 10%. Some poor people exchange maaser with each other. He gives him and he gives him. He makes $2,000 a month. It's very hard to live with $2,000 a month in America, in New York. If I give 200, I'm going to be starving. So what happened? He gives it to another poor person. I made mitzvah maaser. The next day, he also makes 2,000. Once he gets his paycheck, he gives him 200. According to some post scheme, it counts. For the poor people, it counts. You, you gave 10%, and the next day you got a gift, tzedakah. You're allowed to receive tzedakah. So you fulfill your obligation, and now you're allowed to receive donation. It's no problem. So now, so before Purim, we have Shkalim. Now we have, right before Purim, the Shabbat before Purim, Zachor et Asher Asar Lecha Amalek. We read it in a parasha. Parasha Truma, last, last Shabbat, two days ago. The Aftara wasn't the regular Aftara. We take another Sefer Torah, two Sefer Torah, and the second Sefer Torah, we read, Zachor et Asher Asar Lecha Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you. What else do you have to remember? That the name of Hashem will never be completed until the last Amalek person will be destroyed. As long as they live in a world, the name of Hashem can never be complete. Can you believe such thing? That's, by the way, one of the kavanot in the Kaddish, according to Kabbalah. But I don't want to confuse you now. Why? Why? Because there's, 
There's no nation that God hates more than this nation, Amalek. From all the nation of the Gentiles, the one he hates the most is Amalek. You don't find anywhere in the Torah an obligation to kill a nation, to do a genocide. I mean, come on. You don't have. You don't even have it against the Egyptians after they made a holocaust to us. After they if after the holocaust we would receive the Torah from God and it would be written, destroyed all the Nazis, do not leave one of them alive, no one would be surprised. Right? After what they did to the world, no one would be surprised. But here, you don't have an obligation to destroy the Egyptians after they made us a holocaust. You don't have any obligation to destroy the Philistines after they constantly made us hard, gave us hard time and killed so many of us. The Philistines, the Plishtim. There's no obligation to kill them. There's no obligation to kill the Arabs, Ishmael, even though we suffer from them 3,400 years. There's no obligation to go and kill them. Basically, there's no obligation to kill any murderer nation of the Gentiles. None. Not only there's no obligation to kill them, in some places Hashem warned Moshe, don't start a war against them, even a war. All of a sudden, a change, a drastic change. This nation Amalek, you must destroy all of them, do not leave one of them alive. Question number one, why God hates Amalek so much? Amalek is, came from Esav. Haman came from Amalek. Haman Agagi, right? What does it say in the Megillah? Haman Agagi, who is Agag, the king of Amalek. He comes from the family of the king of Amalek. Why Haman came to the world? Because Shaul Amalek, King Saul, did not fulfill the obligation of God 100%. He did it only 99.9%. What did he do? He killed all the people of Amalek and he left the king Agag alive. Does it make any sense to you, Rabotai? When you read something, you cannot be a fool. And you cannot be naive. You have to use your head. The biggest moron in the history wouldn't do such thing. Imagine now, United States go to Iraq with a story with Saddam Hussein, makes fun of them, makes fun of the Europeans, right? When invaded Kuwait, making problems. The whole world is shaking from Saddam Hussein. He's after nuclear bomb. If Saddam Hussein will have a nuclear bomb, for sure he's going to use it. It's crazy. So George Bush and the ally, they all got nervous. Listen, who knows what is hiding this guy? He already bombed the Kurdish with chemical, his own people with chemical, mustard gas. He's a monster. He goes to houses of married couples. He takes the wife, rape her in front of her husband, in front of the other children. He's a total monster. He's one of the worst monsters that ever, ever lived in this earth. This Imam Shimon Saddam Hussein. So everyone is panicking. This is not a normal human being, you know. It's crazy. We got to get rid of him. So now they're going to a war. Soldiers are dying. They spend billions of dollars on a war. And in the end, they catch Saddam Hussein. And they say, okay, you can go. <laughs> Does it make any sense to you? Imagine now the Americans caught Saddam Hussein. Okay, Saddam, you can go. Choose anywhere you want, go. 
the whole world will go crazy. What, are you normal? The whole purpose of the world was to destroy him. What do you have with the Iraqi people? If you destroy him, you don't even have to kill one of them. So now, Shaul finally was strong enough to destroy this Amalek. So he killed all of them, and he left Adolf Hitler alive. How can it be? But Shaul was a fool? Come on. He was a genius, mother. Holy genius. King of God. It's the first king of Israel that Hashem chose. And the Gemara say, because he was so righteous, thanks to that, he had Mordechai and Esther coming from his descendants, from his genealogy. And thanks to them, Israel got saved. Without them, we would not be here. Israel would be destroyed without Mordechai and Esther. So who really saved Israel? Shaul. Why? Because, because he was such a modest, righteous person, Hashem gave him a gift. What was the gift? Mordechai and Esther. How many years later Mordechai and Esther were born? 600 years later, approximately. 600 years Hashem waited until he gave Shaul a gift in the right timing. If he would be 100 years earlier, it wouldn't help. When did he put Mordechai and Esther? In the time that he needed them to save the Jewish nation. Nobody else could. So what's going on here? How did Shaul leave Agag alive and now Shmuel, the prophet Samuel, he comes to, to Shaul, to Saul. He said, what is, the, what is this voice of the, of the sheep, the cattle? I hear cattle. Didn't God say to you to destroy all of them and not leave one animal alive? I want to ask you a question. If the people of San Francisco making scenes, and one day God will decide to destroy this place, what if the animals have to die also? The animals didn't commit sins. Even though in San Francisco, the animals also became game. Did you know that or no? The, the behaving of the people influenced the animals to do the same. But animals are not liable to any punishment because they don't have a free will. You understand? They only act by instinct. So therefore, if a dog killed a cat, you cannot execute him. I mean, you can put him in a cage or take precaution against him, but you cannot execute him in a trial. Why? He's a dog. That's his nature. Same thing lions, same thing anything. So the point is now... Yes, but it's only because it's hazard. Because it's going to kill again. That's only because it's going to kill again. Of course, if we have a poison snake and already beat few people, of course we want to kill him. Even on Shabbat, the Gemara say. Why? It's life risk. If we have an axe that bang into people with their horns and kill one and kill another one, or, or already shows that he has these habits and he killed a person, what do you expect? Would you leave him alive? Today, there are specialists who know how to take it out. But if me and you are, we are not specialists. We have a snake in our house now. And it can kill us any minute. Would we gonna wait to find a specialist who know how to take the venom out? No. We're going to take a chair and blow his head off. It's either us or him. Even on Shabbat, it's allowed. No? What I'm saying is, everything is 
of course, everything is, even heroin, how, how it was invented. It was made as painkiller for people who suffer tragedies, accidents. It was the only thing who can keep them normal. With the pain, they would go crazy. But look what happened after that. It brought an epidemic who killed millions of people. Right? Why? Because people do not use it properly. Same thing, if you eat too much meat, you can die from a heart attack. A little meat here and there, it's no problem, it's even healthy. Every day, meat, fat, cholesterol, and you become very heavy until you cannot breathe and until you get a heart attack. That's how it goes. So going back to what I said, <coughs> Ooh, I forgot about the coffee. Now it's the time. So, Samuel the prophet comes to King Saul and he says to him, what is this noise of this sheep? What did he say? The nation had mercy on the sheep. They thought, why should we kill them? Let's sacrifice them to Hashem. Ah, well, you have a million sheep here. Each one worth 300 bucks. 300 million dollars. Why to burn it? We need a lot of sheep to sacrifice. We will sacrifice all of them. We won't uh, make shish kabad out of them. Don't worry. We're not going to use it in Hanukkah bite of the Bukharians in Rigo Park. No, no, we understand. For that, we're going to buy in uh, College Point over there. But this, it's only for Bet HaMikdash. <laughs> so, what is the problem? Because Hashem said to destroy everyone. Now the question is, why Hashem said to destroy the animals? Why? We have two questions here so far. Why Hashem hates Amalek so much? More than the Egyptians, more than Ishmael, more than many other horrible Philistines. Why, why none of the other nations have an, a decree to get destroyed except Amalek? Second is how Saul, the king, which was a very holy person, how did he make such a mistake that no one would ever do such thing? whole purpose of the operation is not, and you leave Agag. And the third question is why God say in first place to kill the animals? It's not justice. You kill criminals, not animals that live by instinct. Hmm? No. No? Wait, wait. We didn't get to Amalek. Now we start with the animals. We are by the animals now. Why killing the animals? Oh, Chazak Baruch, very nice. The Gemara has few stories in the Gemara how the Goim had such a strong power of black magic that they were able to transform a person into an animal. Fake. It looks like an animal for X amount of time. The Gemara brings a story and soon I will connect it to Amalek. The Gemara brings a story, two stories. One story... Then the rabbi went to the Bet Merchatz, to the mikveh, to the public shower. There was no showers like today with buttons, $200,000 Italian marble. They didn't have such showers. 
What showers you had? You had bats. Like in Manhattan, there's Turkish bats. Bats here, and another bat, and another bat. That's how it used to be. People come. It's called Hamam in Arabic. They come to the Hamam, and they go in, they pay money, and that's it. Okay, so now, the Jews and the Goyim, they use the same Hamam. It's a public place. Someone own it. You pay money and you take shower. So they go to the Hamam, and now the rabbi, he wants to come out of the water, he was frozen. He cannot move. Froze. Can't move his hand, cannot move his head, nothing. He said, I'm stuck. There's two other rabbis in the water. And there's one Ishmaeli Mekashef, an Arab magician, black magician. The rabbi realized the only one could have done it is not me and you. It has to be this Ishmaeli, this Arab. But the Chachamim, they also knew the power of Kishuf. So they froze this Arab now. So now we have a very interesting scenario. Two rabbis that are free, one that is frozen, like a statue, and an Arab that is also frozen. The Arabs scream to the rabbis, release me. They say, we will, after you release the rabbi. So he released the rabbi, and they release him. This is Gemara Rabotai, not fairy tales. It happens in their days. They would never write such a thing if it wasn't true. Because the rabbis would say, why are you using us for lies? It's against the Torah. It's very holy people. We are very, very nervous not to lie. We don't want to be liars. <laughs> and to write such a thing in the holy book of the Gemara? Come on. So they, they give you names, this, how it happened. The Gemara say, one person bought a donkey in the market and he's riding on a donkey. He made a lease. It was on sale, special promotion. So he's on a donkey in the market. All of a sudden, the donkey turned into a woman. And they found this person sitting on a woman in the middle of the public market. People started to scream at him, shame on you, Rasha. So I swear I bought a donkey, I didn't buy a woman. I would go with a woman in the middle of the street. <laughs> Come on. This is the power they had. Today it looks to us like, oh, such a crazy story. Who would believe such a thing, right? If you had to swear on your life that these stories really happen, you would, your hands wouldn't shake. But it's 100% happened. Not only that, the Chachamim give credit to the Goyim. Bilam was a black magician. Bilam could have cursed exactly in a second that can destroy thousands of Jews. The Torah said that this Bilam was such a mekashef, very big rasha, very wicked. But the Torah gives him credit. And the Chachamim, many times in the Talmud, they give credit to the Goim. Why? The truth is above everything. We are not politicians here. They give them credit. One of the credits they give, for instance, the Persians, that they were modest, even in a bathroom. So they were very modest people. They give also compliments to other goyim. The Gemara say, if you find wisdom among the Gentiles, believe it. Don't be surprised. If you find wisdom in Torah, you have to be very surprised. Chokhmah bagoyim, meaning Torah bagoyim, that's not so simple. Why? Because a goy can know a lot of Torah. Why? He can read, he can buy an art scroll Tanakh, 
and he, let's say he has good memory, this guy. And he reads it 50 times, and now he knows the whole Torah by heart. He can tell you every verse, every things. Then two, three years later, he knows the whole Tanakh. Like some of these priests in the church, they know Tanakh. They learn the Bible, meaning the prophets. But they cannot understand one sugiah in Egmara. Nothing. Try it. We had in our yeshiva one guy that was a mathematician, he had a college degree, Russian guy. He was very smart in everything. Very smart. When you learn Gemara in Halacha, total fool. doesn't understand anything. Until one rabbi in yeshiva say, it doesn't make sense. Smart. If, you, if you're smart in math as a Jew, you definitely can be smart in Gemara. You need a sharp brain. How can it be? The Torah it doesn't catch. They started to investigate him. Tell me where your mother is from. This, your grandmother. They found out he's a goy. His grandmother wasn't Jewish. They made him a conversion. That's a whole different, a whole different person. Now he cares, he, gets, he learns the halacha, he remembers everything. Unbelievable. Wisdom, if the guy is the greatest mathematician in the world, believe it. He's a big scientist, believe it. He's a great doctor, believe it. He has a photographic memory, believe it. Anything. No problem, of course, don't be, discriminate. You have to stick to the truth. But if they come and say to you, there's a guy, it's just like Rav Eliashiv. There's no point of going to check. You don't need to. Maybe he can tell you the whole Talmud by heart. So you see, it's like Rav Eliashiv. What do you think? If you know the whole Talmud by heart, you become Rav Eliashiv or Rav Ovadia? You're dreaming. This is only 1% of the wisdom of the Torah to memorize the pages. You have to aim to the truth of the Torah. That's the hard part. I tell you something. One, the son of Rav Ovadia Yosef came to him one time with an answer of one Chacham that uh, he said to him, Abba, check his answer. Tell me if you agree with that. Rav Ovadia read his entire answer. He gave maybe 50 sources. This, that, Gemara, this, lots of sources. And he proves, and he asks a question, and he proves again, and he asks another. He covers almost everything. You can see that this person has a lot of knowledge in Torah. And in the end, his, his conclusion is the opposite of the truth. The final conclusion, wrong. Everything impressive, very impressive. Rav Ovadia said to his son, I'm not surprised. Every answer I read from this Chacham, it's almost strong. And I cannot deny that he has a lot of knowledge and kiyut in Gemara, in Torah, in Poskim. But his conclusions, almost always wrong. His son told this story in his lecture. That's how I heard it. So his son asked him, Abba, why? If he's such a chacham, meaning he put thousands of thousands of hours of learning, that now he knows the whole Gemara, he knows poskim, mefarshim, he knows so much. Why in the end he always reached the wrong conclusion almost? 
So he told him, because he never ever consult with rabbis that are bigger than him. Only with those who are below him, not the one who are above him. Meaning ego. I'm not going to go to them to criticize my answer. To my student, yes. Well, they, whatever I say, they say yes, sir. I'm not going to go to Rav Eliashiv, or to Rav Ozner, or to Rav Ovadia, to analyze my picture and write comments and tell me where I was wrong. Because sometimes people can be wrong. Also, you need special siata dishmaya to aim to the truth. We see in this generation all kinds of speakers. Some are Hashem Yerachem, Reshaim, real clowns. No wonder they say a lot of stupid things in their lecture, as we discussed that many times in the past. There's no point to go into it now. But we also see here and there, not a lot, Baruch Hashem, but here and there, we also see righteous speaker, people that love Hashem, people that will die for the truth, people that love Torah, people that will do everything they can to, to make Jews come closer to Torah and Halakha. And they sometimes make big mistakes in their lecture and they create a disaster. A disaster. You know, I give you one example. There's one person, anything you say about him will be true. Tzaddik, yes. Talmid Chacham, yes. Lover of Hashem, yes. Love the Jewish nation, yes. Devote his life for Torah and Halakha and Mitzvot, yes. Midot, yes. Yes, great character. Uh, humility, yes. Modesty, yes. What else do you want? Better than all of us, maybe combined. But here is what he's saying in some of his speeches. If you think that because of your sins, Hashem will punish you, you don't even know Hashem even a bit. You don't know who, who God is. Such a kfirah. Where did he bring this nonsense from? One of the 13 principles of Judaism is that Hashem always reward the righteous and always punish the wicked. <laughs> it's a building with 13 poles. You take one out, the whole thing collapses. Anyone, the Rambam said, many other big poskim, that anyone who contradicts one of the 13 principles of Judaism is an apicoris. Apicoris, you know what apicoris means? Shem God forbid can lose his share to the world to come. Me, Apicoris. So no one has permission to contradict any one of those. This is the foundation of the religion, of the truth. Now the Torah, I can show you at least, at least from the top of my head, at least 30 places in the Torah that Hashem punish wicked people. I'll give you a few examples. We don't have time for everything. Moshe Rabbeinu say in his speech, in Sefer Dvarim, all of you saw what Hashem did to the Jews who followed the idol of Baal Peor. There was a Baal Peor, Avodazara of the Goim, that the Goim take their bathroom into their idols, and some of the Jews also went to do it, and Hashem destroyed all of them. So Moshe said to the Jewish nation in his speech, you saw that all the Jews who went to the idol, they're all dead. Now one of them survived. Hashem killed all of them. You saw it. 
They are not here with us today. Based on this tzaddik that gave his speech, there's no such thing as Shempanish. Where did he bring it from? Now I'll tell you the answer in the end. I, I figured it out where it came from. But let's move on. Another example, Korach and Adato. They made an argument with Moshe. Hashem opened the ground and swallowed all of them alive with everything they owned. So he punished them or no? Immediately, instantly. In Yetziat Mitzrayim, 80% of the Jews did not want to go out. They didn't rebel against God. They didn't say we don't believe in you. They didn't say we don't want to be religious. They didn't say we don't want to accept the Torah. No, just leave us alone. We don't want to go out to the desert. What was the response? Immediate death. Did it happen or not? Or oh, I'm making it up. In the scene of the golden calf, Jews did not make it. They were only standing around and not stopping it. How many of them died? 3,000. 3,000 died immediately. In the scene of not Moab, 24,000 died. In the scene of the Meraglim, 14,700. I hope I remember all the events correctly, but you get the point. 14,700, Rabotai. Did you realize something very interesting? People say today, Rabbi, why today we don't have big miracles like in the Exodus of Egypt? Don't you think that if Hashem would agree to be a little bit more generous with his performance, that everybody would become religious? We wouldn't need you people like you, Rabbi, you kill yourself, you run, you beg people, they agree to put fill in, they agree to keep Shabbat, you wouldn't need all that. Make a, a nice show, like you did in the Exodus of Egypt, and everyone will be religious. Good claim or stupid claim? What do you think? If I say good or stupid, then you already know the answer is stupid. But it's not enough to know. You have to know why it's stupid. We have Rabbi Benji here. Baruch Hashem, he came focus today. And the answer is just in front of your eyes, you just got the Torah. What do you do after 40 days? Make a golden calf. What do you heard? God speaking, for God's sake. It's not uh, somebody came and told you a story. Mary woke up from her dream. Or Muhammad came from the desert with his fairy tale. We're talking here, millions of, of you, all of you heard the voice of God. You saw what happened here. You saw how the mountain was shaking and everything is on fire and the voice of a shofar. And you go to make Avodah Zarah? So you see that miracles do not make people religious. How many of your friends and cousins and relatives had such miracles in their life? It affected them for a week, and a week after they went back to Bigoim. How many? All of them. All of them. Almost all of them. It's true that every rule has an exception to the rule. It's true. Some people became religious from a miracle, but it's very, very rare. 
I give you one example, Kirk Douglas. You know him? You all of you young, you probably know Michael Douglas. His father was a bigger actor than him back in the time. And his father was a kosher Jew, meaning his mother, the mother of his father was a Jew. That means Kirk Douglas, he has a Jewish name. Kirk is not the real name. And the Douglas also wasn't the real name. So he was a Jewish person, completely secular. And he was a very famous actor in many movies. And he was on a small private jet who crashed. Everyone around him died, and he was the only survivor. And after that, he started to ask questions. Why, why I, I survived and everyone died? All kinds of questions like this. And it led them to check about religion. And then he found Esha Torah in Los Angeles. He gave them a nice check, $10 million. And he started to go to learn Gemara with a big black yarmulke. He grew a white beard. And he was religious. The miracle made him religious. Without the miracle, he would never look for Esha Torah, right? You agree, no? He didn't hear about them before. Now he was looking. If he wouldn't find them, or find Chabad, this because it's everywhere. That's it. A lot of people, they, find, they look for Judaism, so who they find? Where are they going to, you know, Cloma, who are they going to find? In San Francisco, who are they going to find? Everywhere you go, you either find Chabad or, or you find the Reform or Conservative. That's it. The only Orthodox you can find is Chabad. No one else. In most states in America, you don't even have anything. So what's going on? So here is, an, here is a person, his son already is a goy, by the way. This Michael Douglas is not a Jew. And all his children are not Jewish as well. Because Kirk, when he was secular, he married a non-Jewish woman. <clears throat> and his children are not Jewish. The story of the Jewish people of America, that almost everybody, again, almost everybody, huge number of Jews, married non-Jews in the last six, seven, eight generations and created a silent spiritual holocaust and destroyed millions of Jewish souls that are lost as results of that. And of course, nobody almost say a word about it. You barely hear about it. You hear non-stop about the physical holocaust, which is normal, and it, that's the way it should be but you hardly hear anything about the spiritual holocaust. So let's move back to what I said. So one other example, Korach and Adato, so many tragedies. So some person say, Rabbi, why Hashem doesn't make miracles? Everyone will become religious. The answer, nobody becomes religious from miracles. Very few. The rest will go right back to normal life. Okay. No what else? What's the other reason that it doesn't pay to have miracles? I say it's a stupid claim, but you have to help me why it's stupid. Wouldn't you want to see one day in San Francisco all the lakes are red like black blood and all the gays come to take water from the lake and they see what? What's going on? And it's all over the TV. Wouldn't you want to see grasshoppers? Billions of frogs in the places of all the wicked people. Wouldn't you want to see this? 
The answer is why Hashem doesn't make the miracle so clearly and open like before. He hides them in nature. Why? Don't make mistake here. The same level miracles are happening every day. Every day. The difference is that Hashem covers it and hides it in nature. That's the, that's the only difference. Just the fact that the Jewish nation survived 2,000 years when every nation around them almost wants to destroy them and the nations are a thousand times bigger, richer, with bigger weapons, with so many more people, and constantly educate their children non-stop just to kill all Jews. And the Jews survive and flourish and build a state and it became one of the most advanced states in the world when it comes to technology and business and finance. That's alone bigger miracle than any miracle you read about, if you're clever enough to realize. 1.8 Muslim, 5 million Jews in Israel. That's the ratio. 1.8 billion, 5 million Jews in Israel. That's it. Take the women and the children. You have 2 million men. 2 million men against 1 billion Arab which many of them are strong and have terrorist ideology, two million against a billion. What's the odds? What's, what are the odds? Huh? You see, that's what we read in the Haggadah of Pesach. Bechol dor vador, omdim alenu lechalotenu, v'akadosh baruch hu matzilenu miyadam. Every generation, they plan to destroy us, and Hashem is saving us from their hands. And not only that, <coughs> we are a sheep surrounded by 70 wolves. What's the odds? Put a sheep in the middle and 70 hungry wolves around waiting to attack the sheep. 2,000 years like that. That's not a bigger miracle than frogs and grasshoppers. But it's covered in nature. United States, Trump, we move the embassy, we'll give you helicopters, F-16, this, Israeli army, Israeli high-tech, Israeli Mossad, lots of cover-up. Mossad, Mossad. If Hashem did not protect us one minute, anybody would be able to, all the Arabs have to do is just to walk to Israel, and that's it, and it's over. Without a war, without a war. Oh, you know what? All they have to do is to continue to have minimum eight children in a family, and that's it. In Israel, they become the majority. Democracy, rotten democracy, will cause that one day the majority in the Knesset will be Arab terrorists. So far, we already have 14 terrorists sitting. They're all terrorists, make no mistake. They speak terrorism, they promote terrorism, they admire Shahids in the Israeli Knesset. They clap for the Shahids who kill women and children. And they get paid by the Israeli government, and so far it's only 14. But add another 50 liberal leftists to them. They're very close to become half of the government. Give it another generation or two, well, there's nothing you can do. They're going to get another seat, and another seat, and another seat. Only 20, 22, 25. 30, 40, that's it, they become the government. 
didn't you hear Ahmed Tibi, say, we soon gonna become the majority and I will replace Netanyahu. I will be the prime minister. <laughs> you understand? Do you think he's not totally a fool? He's right. That's what Gaddafi said. Gaddafi said, why are we even fighting? Why do we need a nuclear? Take the nuclear. He gave it back. Take it. With United, Gaddafi also had nuclear. He gave it back to the United States. Now, unlike Korea, Gaddafi said, take it, no problem. I'm not going to fight with you. All we have to do is to keep having babies. That's it. Better than nuclear. We're taking over the world without one gunshot. You understand? So that's demographic epidemic here. It's, it's, Europe is gone. Most of Africa is gone. Middle East is all theirs. What's left? America. South America, North America. That's, that's what's left. The only place they may not be able to take over is China, Japan, those places. But that's a different world. It's not in the center of the world, really. Because they're not going to let them. The Chinese, the Japanese, they're very strict with them. In China, they have their own place, you know. They push all the Muslims to one area. And they also attack them, terrorists. But they're very tough with them. And over there, there's no human rights. They can grab them and, dis and make them disappear. So they know it. In Japan, they don't let them build masks. They don't give them citizenship. They make their life impossible there to stay. They don't like Japan. There's no laws. There's no freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. You understand? I once said in one of my lectures, democracy could have been a beautiful place, a beautiful thing. But in Israel, it does not belong. Why? Because the way they interpret democracy is wrong. Let me explain. When they invented the concept of democracy, it was meant that the majority will dominate the country, right? The majority wins, which is no problem. But the minorities will have rights. We will not be dictators over the minorities. Meaning, yeah, okay, you're only 5%, you are 7%. Everyone has a piece in the cake, based on how the country is built. We're not going to discriminate everyone. People would vote. We will choose the leader. And that's it. So if the majority of the people are right, the leader will be right. The majority are left. The leader will be left. So far, it sounds wonderful. But where in the history the founder of democracy ever had in his mind to give rights to the minority when the minority declare every day that as soon as they become the majority, they will kill everybody else. Whoa! Who had in mind to give them any rights? Of course not. I will give you rights to kill me? I am the majority. I'm doing you a favor. I'm being fair. We are 90%, you are 10%. We are 80%, you are 20%. We don't want to defeat you, to destroy you, to bury you or to kick you out. We could have made rules. We get privileges. You get nothing. You pay taxes. We pay nothing. You go and serve. We do nothing. We can make the rules. There's nothing you can do. You're not going to comply. You're going to be in jail. We can force you to do what we want. We are 
We don't want to be like that. We want you to feel equal to us. You can become a prime minister, no problem. You can run. If people will vote for you, we'll accept it. Everybody will pay taxes. Everyone will get benefits. Everyone will be treated in hospital. Everyone will serve in the army. Everyone can be a judge. That's democracy. But once you tell me every day that you will not rest until you kill all of us and you cooperate with terrorism nonstop, why do you deserve any rights from the government? To destroy the country? <laughs> who, who would ever think such stupidity? Whoa! So they try to change things in Israel, but the liberal lefties, they don't let. They made a law, they try to pass this law, they don't let. That you want to show loyalty to the country. Meaning if you ever be caught helping terrorism, spreading terrorism and hate against Israel in the internet, we will take away your citizenship. You don't belong here. You fight against your own country, you don't belong here, you're a traitor. They don't let. Geval! They scream, the Jews. Instead of being happy that somebody finally is normal and is protecting the future of the country, they will do everything they can to help them to destroy us faster. Why? Why? They also... They also what do you think? Who the Arabs will kill first? When they take over Israel, who do you think the first one they, they're going to kill? The first one, with not, without a doubt. The lefty liberals, they'll kill all the gays, they will kill all the lefties who help them, they will kill all the lawyers who fought for them in the Israeli Supreme Court, they will kill all of them first, then they'll kill the righties. Why? The lefties were buddies with them, they gave their life for them. Why they will kill them first? Because they can't be loyal to their own kind. Very good. Smart guys here on the left. Huh? Yeah, they, they will tell them, you betrayed your own nation. You want us to trust you, to keep you alive? You went against your own country to help us to take over the country. We cannot leave you a second. You are traitors. If you remember the lecture I gave about the speech that Rabbi Ben Porat from Israel is a very big rabbi. He's a world expert in the Holocaust. He knows all the details. He read hundreds of books about it. He's, a, he's known. He's, everybody knows he's an expert in the Holocaust. He once gave a speech, which I put it on my Facebook page, and then I kind of repeated some of the things that he said. He brought into his lecture Mankind in Hebrew. It was against the law to translate it. But now they allowed it. So he brought Hitler's book. He's holding it in his speech. And he highlights things that Hitler said. I started to read in Hebrew. I, I, I admit I got the shock of my life. What did he write there? We must kill all the Jews for one main reason. What motivated him to start a genocide against the Jews? Did you know? Almost nobody knows. What triggered Hitler to start such a mess in the world to kill all the Jews? Why it was so urgent for him? Why? Who knows? You're not going to believe it. He writes in his book. The Jews made a revolution in, in Russia. Communism and all these things. 
they destroyed Russia, they did this, they did that. The Jews went against their own prophets. The Jews went against their own religion. They created communism, which is anti-God. The Jews are anti-God. They will come to Germany and do the same thing they did in Russia. We don't want them. They are danger. They will destroy Germany. So what really triggered him? The Jews that betrayed Hashem and the Torah. He hated them so much that in the end he killed all Jews, including religious as well. Once he killed, he killed everybody. But really, if all the Jews would be religious, and they would not make any communist revolution in Russia, and wouldn't do all the other things that he writes in his book, you can read it there. Uh, I never wrote the book. I never read the book. But Rav Ben Porat is an expert. He started to read from his book in his lecture, one thing after the other. He highlighted and, wrote and, and, and read it. And he said, what triggered him is the rebellions against the Torah and God, making the communism and all these things. That's what triggered him. Don't get me wrong. Maybe he had other reasons. I don't know all his reasons, but this is what's written in his book. What's written, it's written. <laughs> Cannot argue. This is how he explained his actions. Machshim of Zichro. All right, let's, before we forget, we still have some questions that we have to answer. So, we still have to understand why God hates Amalek so much, more than any other nation. Why? The answer is, every problem we had with any nation in history, the Gohim had a claim. Egypt. Why did you kill Jews and kill their babies and make them slave? Why? Because we were afraid that one day the enemies will take over Egypt and they'll help them. They're growing in Egypt. They, they're taking all the real estate. They're moving everywhere. They used to be in Goshen, in a ghetto. Now they're everywhere. They will take over Egypt. Just like the Germans are going crazy now that the Turks from Turkey taking over Germany. They have a solid claim. What do you want? This is our country. You took it over. The French. This is our country. Algerians and Moroccans taking it over. So they have a claim. You can argue if the claim is 100% right or wrong. Okay. But every, everyone understands that it's a claim, right? The Goim has what to say. Palestine. Why you fight them? Because they want to pass through our property. And we don't want, we don't want to take risk. How do we know they're not going to take over our country? So they have a claim. Us and the Arabs. The Arab says, you betrayed your prophets. You don't listen to God. You don't have the right to sit here. We have to teach you a lesson. The Arab has a claim. They're right or wrong. They're wrong, because the Torah promised that Hashem never replaced the Jews with any other nation. But at least they have a claim. What is the claim of Amalek? When God will call Amalek and say, excuse me, you fool. You always went to attack Israel on the road. Always surprise them, always ambush them. Always give them a hard time. What? Business you have to do with the nation of Israel. You don't have a mutual border. They never stole your land. 
They never came to live in your country. What did they do? They never attacked you. What? Give me one reason why you come and kill them. The answer, pure antisemitism. No political reasons. Pure antisemitism. Not only that, Amalek is the first one who invented the concept of I will get killed as long as I kill some Jews with me. Chazal saying, they give a parable. Amalek is willing to jump into a boiling bath to get burned totally knowing they cooled the bath, meaning the Jewish nation. We will do everything we can to cool them in Avodat Hashem, to make them weak, to bring their faith down. That's why God hates them so much. And he can never, ever be presented to us as I am complete until they will be destroyed from the world. So in that case, we have a very serious problem. Because today we don't even know who is Amalek. How, how, we don't know who is Amalek. Why we don't know who is Amalek? There used to be a king named Sancheriv over 2,200 years ago. And he made such wars in the world and everyone ran to everywhere. People ran from here, refugees running from here to there. And all the nations got mixed. So you don't know anymore who is who. So today when you come and meet an Arab person, what's your name? Mahmoud. You assume that he's Ishmael. Not, not, not for sure. It could be Amalek. It could be Esav. It could be, it could be the, one of the children of Abraham from Ketura, from the east. It can be European. You see him now, Muhammad, Mahmoud, the, the, the Arab. But ten generations ago, his grand-grand-grandmother was a French woman, European. Now he's Muhammad. Why? He moved. His mother moved from France to Morocco. Maybe business was bad in France. They moved to Morocco, and that's it. Well, it doesn't mean that he's an Arab for sure. You see a Christian. You don't know. Maybe he's Ishmaeli. Maybe he's Amaleki. You don't know. There's no way to know. We say because of the Holocaust that the Germans are Amalek. The Germans, the French, the Russians, some of the Italians. But we don't know for sure. It's an assumption. Don't ever think it's a fact. It's not a fact. You don't know for sure that Germany is Amalek. Even though in the Gemara, it's actually written, this was written close to 2,000 years ago, that Yaakov Avinu, Jacob said to God, don't let my brother Esav succeed. This is Germany of Edom. That if they will succeed, they will destroy the whole world. And then the Gemara says, Amar Abichamabar, Barchanina, 300 tribes are in Germany of Edom. This is written in Gemara, in Masachet Megillah, page 6. Gemara, Masachet Megillah. So the Gemara said there will be, from Esav, there will be a country named Germany that will be built by 300 tribes. And that's exactly how Germany became a nation. It was 300 uh, barbarian tribes. And a person named Bismarck united them to the German Republic. 
and later on they became Germany. But do, who are those 300 tribes? The Gemara said, children of Esav. But Esav, one of his children was Amalek, but he has many other children. It's true that he came from Esav, but the Gemara didn't say, this is Germany of Amalek. The Gemara said, this is Germany of Edom. Edom is Esav. It could be from his other children. You understand what I'm saying here or no? So we don't know for sure. <coughs> we don't know for sure that the Germans are Amalek. Their cruelty probably indicates that they are. And all the other ones who cooperated with them. But we don't know for sure. Bottom line, you don't know about any Goy what he saws. We don't know. Even the Jews. Today, you are Moroccan. You, you don't know if you've always been Moroccan. Today, you're Bukharian. 200 years ago, there were no Bukharians, maybe. They were all Persians. Persians went to Bukhara, and here you go. You see that they have a lot of mutual in the genes between Persians and Bukharians. The language is very similar. The food, the rice, very si lots of similarity. Afghani, also the same. This whole area. It could have been one, and they turn into three or four or five. It's no problem. One nation, and the Jews move to here. They migrate to here. Uh, 800 years ago, there were no Jews in America. To have, you have American Jews. What are you? American. No, no, your parents. American. Okay, your grandparents. American. My wife. Her mother, American. Grandmother, also American. So already three generations here. After that, Russian, Polish, something, Ashkenazi. American. There's Jews here in America more than 100 and 200 years. They came here in the 1800s. I saw Gmaras in Lower East Side in a shul that was printed in the 1700s, 1780, something like that. They are on the shelf. In the old shuls of Lower East Side. These shuls that were built long, long time ago. These Gmaras were printed 200 years ago. The pages are falling, become powder. They're all yellow. As soon as you touch the page, it breaks. It's very big, marot, primitive. The print is crooked a little bit. It's a whole different thing. Why? All the Jews that came, all the Jews that came to America, where did they come to? Seaport. There was the port from Europe. They arrived to seaport. They came out of the boat. There's no electric, still horses. In Manhattan, people had horses with carriages, they came with the suitcases, they started to buy real estate. And he brings the uncle, he sends a letter to Europe, brings another family, and they buy more real estate, and they buy here, and they buy the market. All of a sudden, this whole area, Delancey Street, Allen Street, East Broadway, uh, Grand Street, it all became Jewish. Look how many synagogues, Rav Moshe Feinstein was there, Rav Heinkin, and many other Hasidim. There is shoes over there, Hasidim the Pauline. Over a hundred years ago, Hasidim. When I was there 20 something years ago, there used to be Hasidim there that are 90. And they already came here when they were children. You understand? Meaning they are already there, a few generations there. But this is it, that's the history of the Jewish people. Later, they saw that it became crowded, they crossed the bridge to Williamsburg. And they made a Jewish neighborhood over there. 
and they crossed the other bridge to Borough Park, very close to the city, the closest places. But in the beginning, it was all Lower East Side. Everyone lived here. Every, and so many synagogues that today became Chinatown. In some of the buildings that the holiest people used to pray 200 years ago, they eat rats and cats for breakfast. Same building that became a Chinese factory. What do you think? That's it. So, we answer why Hashem hates Amalek. Everybody attacked because there's political reasons, neighborhoods, business, money, taxes, Mexico. The President of the United States made them an enemy. We're going to make a wall. You are not welcome here. Okay, so Mexicans hate America now. There's a reason. If tomorrow there's going to be a war, at least you understand where it started. But what Amalek? Amalek, what for? Just to go all the way to kill ourselves, to spend time and money to kill Jews. That's one of the questions we answer. What are the other two questions we still did not answer? Let's see if you remember. Why kill the sheep? No, and what else? Very good. Now, I started to explain to you that the Gemara described how the Goim used to make black magic and turn themselves into animals. And that's exactly what Agag did. The mistake of Shaul, Shaul thought, God told me to kill all the sheep. Why? He has his reasons, but I have my reasons. I want to spend three, I want to save $300 million. I'm the king. I'll leave the sheep and we'll sacrifice it. We'll kill them anyway, but not in one day. In a year, in two years. Technically, what is wrong here? I'm doing it for the sake of heaven, not, not for my pocket. Didn't, Shaul didn't steal it for his own bank account. The plan was to sacrifice them. Why did Hashem say to kill the sheep? Because these Amaleki, many of them turned themselves into sheep. They can turn themselves into sheep. How would you know? You don't know. And then later on, the, the magic will expire, then they go back. What's the whole point? Who did it? Agag. They killed everyone. Agag made it. And what happened later on? He survived. He made a woman pregnant. And then Shmuel came. What is the noise of the sheep? Shaul does not take responsibility. When Shmuel came to David HaMelech about the story with Bathsheba and Uriah Hiti, he said to him, tell me, person has a field, is rich, and there's a poor man who has only one sheep, and the rich person went and took the sheep of the, of the poor person. What do you think we should do with a person like this? Hey, ben Mavetu, doesn't deserve to live, Rasha, so you are the man. What did you do with Uriah? You send him to the war, it looks very bad. So what happened? Right away, David Amelech took full responsibility. Chatati Hashem. I made a mistake. He did not blame anyone. Adam blamed Chava. Chava blamed the snake. Shaul blamed the nation. David blamed himself. Even though he did not even make a sin. David did not make a scene. The Gemara says, "Kol haomer David chata enoel atoe." It's mistaken. 
So why the Torah is criticizing David so, so strongly? Why, the, why did he deserve punishments to get? The answer is, because when he was born, his shiduch was Batsheva, the best tzedeket. But after David killed Goliath, he said, we, whoever's going to win the battle will have to chop the head of the other person and bring it to the nation to prove. Instead of starting a war, we're going to make a war at one against one. You get the best fighter and we get the best fighter. If we win, you'll be our servants, pay us taxes. If you win, we'll be your servant. Why so many people should die? One against one. They brought this Goliath, the giant, and David is small, curly hair, young, with a slingshot. He comes with all metal and helmet and a sword, and, and David comes with a slingshot. What is this? You're joking. Started to curse Hashem in Machshimo, this Goliath. When was this Goliath was born? Who is his mother? Orpah. Who is Orpah? One of the two daughter-in-laws of Naomi. Naomi had two sons, Machlon and Kilion. And they moved to the village of Manhattan. There was no business in Israel. They said business is slow. Let's move overseas. They moved to Chutz Laaretz. And they marry Christine and Christina. Goyot. Rabbis move to San Francisco, became reform, and married two goyot. What was the name of the two goyot? Ruth and Orpah. And Hashem killed both of them. As an answer to the tzaddik that say, why are you afraid of Hashem that he will give you a punishment? Why did he say it, do you know? Why did he say it? Sometimes people go into trauma because of fear. They have panic attack. They read some punishments in the Torah. They hear speakers that speak very strong. And they have very soft heart and very soft personality. And it's too much for them. It makes them go over, overwhelmed with pressure. And this particular tzaddik personally told me that he had two years depression. He was in bed for two years. He couldn't come out of bed. Because everything he did, he was, he was sure that Hashem is going to kill him. Come on. Well, it's not a normal reaction. We're all afraid of our sins, and we're afraid that Hashem is going to take away our parnasah, or shiduch, or children, or who knows what. But we don't sit in bed or cover in a box, shaking like this. When, when is the strike going to come? If something like this happened to you, you need a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a therapist to check what's going on with you. It's not a normal reaction. But the problem is, if you remember my series, The Psychology of the Mind, that some of the things that happen to us in our life makes a scar in our subconscious, meaning in our soul, and makes a scar. And this scar is not always easy to heal. And it makes a person always react based on the scar he has in his subconscious. For instance, sometimes this scar can be from previous life. Sometimes it can be from childhood. Sometimes it can be from a tragedy you had when you were an adult. 
If you were in Lebanon in a war and your best friend just got killed next to you, it, it affects you in such a way now that you cannot eat certain things, you cannot get married, you cannot have a relationship anymore. You don't have, you're antisocial, you don't want to speak to anyone. That's why Israeli soldiers who came from the war, they need to go through a long period of time until they heal them mentally. Many of them don't want to speak to anybody anymore, to isolate themselves. Look in the Vietnam veterans. Most of them are homeless. In LA, you see them everywhere. I'm a veteran, I'm a veteran. Why they all sleep in the street? Because they could not function in any job, any work, any work nothing. Until they ended up in the streets or in the shelters. Why? Because they have scars in their subconscious. They're mentally sick. If you see a woman that she cannot marry a man, she can't get married. Very possible she was raped when she was a little kid by someone she doesn't even remember it. Maybe she was four or five. She doesn't remember. But it made a scar in her soul, in her subconscious. Because the, the soul records everything, even tragedies and traumas. And the traumas affect us. If your father was beating up your mother and cursing her when you were a kid, it can make a trauma. You can become gay from it. Why? For all kinds of things like this. If your mother was a dominant person like a man and tortured you and was strict with you, that can make you a gay, can make you a lesbian. A lot of these things come from trauma. That's why we have to be so careful how we raise the children. We can cause them a disaster. Many of them go to drugs as direct fault of their parents. What do you think? Over-criticism, violence, uh, you're putting them down. You know how many people I spoke over the years that they feel like total losers? They cannot even wake up in the morning and they don't want to do anything with their life just because their father constantly put them down and called them losers. That's it. I don't want to even try. It's a scar in a subconscious. It can be from previous lives, Rabotai. People are eat non-stop, eat non-stop. Could be that they died from starvation. There are people that if you hypnotize them, you find out they were in a holocaust. Some of the people have symptoms. Like one woman, when airplanes pass, she goes under the table and she, went, and she goes like this. She holds her head. What, what are you doing? They hypnotize her. And she is a Brazilian woman. And they found out she's speaking now in hypnosis. She speaks Italian. And she was in a World War II when the bombs were falling in Europe. And every time they heard the airplane, they used to go under the table because who knows what's going to happen now. So they hide. So it's affecting her now in her new body. Meaning you see the impression of the tragedy from previous life is passing with the soul into the new body. And it's all of us like this. That's why by your children, you see right away that they, they can be twins, but they behave totally different. One is attracted to Torah right away. The other one is like a goy. You wonder what's going on. I raised both of them the same. This guy always enjoyed to go to shul. For this guy, it's a trauma. Cannot even look at it. You understand? So this is all as a result of what happens. So when, when this person, which again is a big tzaddik, don't get me wrong. So 
if he had such a trauma that two years he couldn't come out of bed, everything that is scary puts him into panic. And I found out that every two weeks he goes to the hospital. Pressure in the heart, in the chest, no breathing. Why? Live with constant panic attack. Someone like that, even if he wants to present the Torah correctly, he can't. Because it's against his trauma. You understand what's going on here? He has a trauma. Why? Two years he was in bed. What else do you want? Two years a person is in bed, doesn't leave the house for two years. Shaking in bed, crying, depressed. Don't walk, don't learn, don't do anything. Don't. What is it? God is coming to kill me. Okay, so now you understand. But the problem is, Rabotai, the damage. You know what the damage is? I'll tell you what the damage is. A different rabbi called me to tell me, I used to give lectures to girls in Israel. They all, they all started to become modest. One, another one, scared, this, that. One time, I was invited to a Brit or Bar Mitzvah, I don't remember. I go, I see one girl, tight jeans, high heels, short sleeves. So well, what happened to you? You stopped being religious? Yes, I'm, I'm religious, but not like you taught me. So he said to her, wow, what happened? She said, I started to, I stopped listening to you and to Rabbi Mizrahi. That's why he called me. Because I was a part of that story without being there. I, used to, I became religious from your lectures and from his lectures. But now I found out about this speaker, which is so pleasant. He said, you have nothing to be worried about your sins. God is not punishing so why should, I, why should I suffer? I like to dress like this. And if I'm not going to get punished, until now I was sure that if I dress not modest, you always say, Machtiat Arabim, Gehenom, all these things. Now, when he say that it's not true, she went back to be Chilonit. You understand? You understand the damage, Rabotai? The Rambam writes in Ilchot Shuvah, if I remember correctly, chapter 10, first halacha. The Rambam says that when you teach women and children and ignorant men, women, children, and ignorant men, Rambam puts all of them in one category. Who knows why? Why? Why Rambam put men... Ignorant men, children, and women in one category. And the other category is men that knows Torah. So I'll tell you what the Rambam say, you understand. He said, when you teach Torah to Amaharetz, Amaharetzot, ignorant men, or to children, or to women, you have to start in the beginning by putting fear on them and lay their love. You have to establish a ground. Later, when they begin to know more Torah, you teach them love of Hashem. By Talmidei Chachamim, that taste every, more, every day the sweetness and the brilliance of the Torah, you don't need to scare them about punishments and fear. They're already holy from the Torah. Talk to them about love and about beautiful stuff. Women, Children and ignorant men, they don't know Torah. The only way they understand, if you touch this, you're going to get electrocuted. 
You cannot come to a little child, five years old, don't put the medal into this hole, into the outlet. Would you, would you mind not to do it? It's not good. Please, be considerate. Don't touch. <laughs> How long it's going to work? Two minutes later, he goes in and put it in and die. What, how do you teach a boy not to put metal into the electric outlet? You scream. No, no, no. Fire. Be careful. And again, he looks at you, the baby, smiling, and he try again. You give him one smack on the head. Not because you're cruel. No, well, you enjoy to hit your baby. Why you hit him on the head? To save his life. And that's the only way to save his life. Because you cannot watch him 24-7, right? You do something, you're in a bathroom, you go in, you go out, you cook, you write something, babies play. He goes right away into the holes to push something in. Here, you may not get electrocuted and die because it's 110 volts. But in Israel, it's right away dead. 220. Right away, you become black. Chuckles. I remember as a kid how my father hit me on my hand. No, 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 be careful. Wow, from that moment I never ever went near it. Baruch Hashem, that's the reason I'm here. You understand, Rabotai? That's how ignorance understands. Fear. Most of the people in the world are totally ignorant. In case you didn't realize it by that. From 13 million Jews in the world, you don't even have 50,000 Talmidei Chachamim in the world. That's it. Everybody's ignorant. We have, you have about a hundred and something thousand Talmidei Yeshiva in the world. Many of them are new. Some of them are not bright. Not everyone is Talmid Chacham. Right? So you know what? To be on the safe side, maybe a hundred thousand Talmidei Chachamim. I hope. I've been generous. So how much is 100,000 from 13.2 million percentage-wise? 5%, 6%. That's it. 95% are ignorant. Don't know anything. Don't know one Mishnah filu. Don't know how to explain one page of Gemara. One from thousands. How you teach them? Fear. That's the language they understand, the ignorance. Rambam, not me. Rambam, the greatest rabbi in the last thousand years. Women, children, and ignorant men. And by the way, what's considered ignorant in the time of the Rambam 850 years ago, it would be very impressive today. Do you understand or no? Some of us that knows and understand and know halachot, in the time of Rambam will be zero, totally ignorant. Here at least, oh, he knows a lot. He was two years in yeshiva. In the time of the Rambam, totally ignorant. But forget about the difference. Today, 5% knows a little bit. The rest don't know anything. I went to pray Mincha in Arvit. There was one Moroccan with French accent. He came to pray. He became Chazan. He doesn't know one halacha, how to pray. Kaddish, he moves with his legs open. He doesn't know you have to close your leg to stand straight like a soldier. He doesn't know when to bend down. He makes mistakes in the, in the way he pronounces the words. Nothing. He doesn't know one alacham is can. He never ever learned one, one time in his life the laws of tefillah. Never. What are you going to do? He's close to seven years old. 
going to teach him now things that they teach in 10th uh, grade. Right? What are you going to do now? So, now we have one last question to answer and we finish. Why would Shaul wants to leave Hitler alive after he killed all his army? But before we answer this question, we still have one more question opened. Why it's not, why it's stupid to ask for miracles today? Why life it's better off the way it is today without free and clear miracle like the time of the exodus of Egypt? The answer, Abotai, is miracle cost a lot. They're very expensive. Very expensive. It's not for free. Why? Because the Satan comes to make a claim against. The Satan says, okay, you made such a miracle, what do you give me in return? You always have to keep the balance 50-50. You split the, the Red Sea. What do I get in return? What are you going to get in return? That the idols will also make miracles. That's what you get in return. Otherwise, <laughs> the game is over. <laughs> Where is the free choice here? Everyone see the right side and the wrong side. No. I always wonder, uh, well, in the beginning, I was wondering to myself, why Micha, Micha, the wicked Micha, took his statue out of Egypt with him and was calling people to come to his statue while the ocean is split and he see a miracle like this in front of his eyes and still hold to his, to his statue. This Micha was the baby that the Egyptians put inside the constructions and about, about to choke him with the, with the cement. And Moshe said to Hashem, what this baby did that he has to die before he started his life. And Hashem said, oh, you're questioning me? Go take him out. Take him out. And he took him out. And he was Micha. Who was Micha? Machti Rabim. Don't get confused. Not Micha the prophet. That was a tzaddik. This is Micha the Rasha. Micha the tzaddik is the Navi. And this is Micha the Rasha. What was he doing? Calling, come, come, I have something amazing. You're sick, right? You have migraines. Come, you do these certain things by my statue. Tomorrow, you brand new. You never have pain. Come to the statue. Baruch Hashem, you're healthy. No, who's not going to come? That's why Micha was not letting it go. Why? Ele keneged ele Hashem. Miracle cost a lot. While we had miracles, pay attention. Every little mistake, thousands of dead. Just to give you an idea, Israel is 70 years old. Now it's Yom Atzmaut in two months from now, Memorial Day, uh, Independence Day. Israel will be 70 years old. From the time Israel became a state until now, so many wars, so many attacks, so much terrorism, so much anti-Semitism. How many Jews were murdered in the entire world in 70 years by the Arabs? 70 years after the Holocaust. How many? Almost 24,000. 23 and change. Almost 24,000 Jews all combined in 70 years. One scene in a Torah 
24,000 die in a minute. Do you understand, Rabotai? Do you understand what I'm saying here or no? One scene, 3,000, right here, golden calf. One scene, 14,700. One scene, 24,000. And 14,700 should have been a lot more. But Aaron went with the ketoret, with the smoke of the ketoret, of the spices, in between the living people to the dead people. It was an epidemic. How did Aaron know that ketoret saved life? The angel of death taught him that secret. Moshe Rabbeinu got one secret from every angel in Shemaim. The angel of death taught them that ketoret saved from epidemic. If there's an epidemic, pituma ketoret. You go with the ketoret and it saves life. In case you don't know, someone who makes ketoret chayaf karet. You cannot make ketoret for fun. I want some good, good spices. No. Only in Bet HaMikdash. Now we don't have it, so we don't have it. Also Shemen HaMishcha. If you do today Shemen HaMishcha, you want to put it on your plates. It's also karet. It's only used for all the reasons. Ramash, before I finish, we have one last question to answer and we're done. What is, the, what is this last question? Why Shaul, why, we say already, why Shaul now left Agag? Because he didn't see Agag. Agag made himself like a sheep. Why Shaul decided to keep all the sheep? Why? Because he wants to sacrifice the sheep to Hashem. Agag went into the sheep. Now Shmuel is coming. Shmuel is equal to Moshe and Aaron combined. That's what Chazal said. What did Shmuel do? The liberals will hate it. He took a sword and cut him to four pieces. He didn't just kill him. He cut him. He has a very sharp sword. Shmuel, the prophet of God. Shh, shh, shh. Three times. One, two, three. Cut him to four pieces. Like the Japanese samurai. They have these sharp knives. Shemirachem. Shmuel, she cut him to four pieces. How do we know it's four? How do we know it's four? I was wondering, the entire Shabbat when I saw Rashi and other Mefarshim, the Radak, they explained that it's four to four pieces. I said, where does it say that it's four? It just said that Shmuel cut him, cut him, but it doesn't say to four. Now, Besiata Dishmaya, I think I got the answer right now. I was breaking my head. Where did I get this that it's four? Where? What, they make up a number? We have an halacha in the Torah, Shosat, when you have parsa, mafris parsa, the parsa has to have a shesa, right? How many legs the animals have four? Four parsa. How do you say parsot in English? That the animals have in their legs, in the bottom of the legs. Hooves, hooves. So split hooves. The hooves of the kosher animals, they have to be split, not round like horse. It has to be cut. So 
the Torah said that he shisea oto. What's this word shisea? It's similar to the four legs of the animals that have these hooves. That's how they know that he cut him to four pieces, like the four legs of the animal. But this is just something that came to my mind now. We have to double check if it's true or not. Sometimes you can teach beautiful things, but in the end they're not true. Then they are worthless. How do you know if it's true? You find if one of the greatest mefarshim commentators on the Torah say the same. Then you know there's a chance that you're right. If nobody say like you, you can live in the illusion that you're right. You understand? You know, in life, sometimes you come, you ask a question that you read in the Ram, by the Rambam, but you don't say it's from the Rambam. And everyone attack you. Ah, what are you talking about? No, no, no. You let them continue. No, I'm telling you, yes. How do you know? I'm telling you, yes. They argue with you. Then you say, hey, listen, you fools. It's not me, it's the Rambam. Pshht. Well, Rambam? Right, or everyone justify it. Oh, yeah, you, it makes a lot of sense. Ah, when it's me, it's nothing. You don't even give a chance. Ah, you heard Rambam. It happens to me with my Rav. I had a, one part of my yeshiva learning. I had a French rabbi. Ashkenazi French. He doesn't leave the Gemara one second of his life. Even in the middle of Shmona Yisrael, he learns Gemara. That's how addicted he is. You don't understand. He drives the car, he bangs into the sidewalk. His mind is totally devoted to Gemara. Unbelievable, this man. Unbelievable. And he didn't even go to yeshiva. His father taught him in school, in a house. In a young age, he was already in a very high level. Why? Because he was, his father taught him from a young age in the house. Didn't send him to waste time. What you learn in a day with the father, if your father is a big rabbi, you don't learn in a week when you have a class of 40 kids. Everybody understands that, right? So he was... Like he is the big whale and we are the little sardines. We sit in his shiur. You can never ever challenge him. Everything you say, he can rip you apart. One time, I said, I have to, I have to one time show him. I went to the book of Ravovadia Yosef, Maor Israel on the Gemara. Let me find something interesting that Ravovadia said. So I found something Ravovadia wrote. In the middle of the shiur, I say that, but I didn't tell him it's Ravovadia. He went like this to me. He has this look. Your blood is frozen. Gives you this look like, you know, what are you even saying such thing? Give me this look. Nah, don't waste time. <laughs> I argue with him. I don't say right away. No, nothing. Not. I went, I got the book. See, Rav Ovadia say. Okay. <laughs> if that's his opinion, what can I say? Change his tune. But you're not allowed to do this. It was a lesson for life. You don't do things like this. You have to say right away, I read that this big rabbi say this and this. And he can still criticize it. Say, okay, I disagree with you. But you don't. That's called onaat varim. You deceive a person. You know, you're deceiving a person. Okay, there's anything we did not answer? Help me out. Oh, we cover everything. Cover everything, no? Why, sh why, why shall we keep no mind? 
הגג, because הגג מכה כישוף. So Shmuel came and he killed him. So, he didn't see him, he was hiding, he, he was, he pretend he's a sheep. You understand? Anything, we cover everything? I think we did. Okay, I just want to remind you, for those of you who came late, my book came out, Baruch Hashem, after months of work. It's, the name of the book is Yosef Chochma. It's, it's important when you write a book that your name will be in a title. But what are you going to do? You have to, you, the word Yosef means to add. Chochma means wisdom. That means this book will add you some wisdom, take away some of the ignorance. It's about 250 pages, lots of proofs, the right ideology, words of encouragement, certain things that will, a person, once he learns it, it will help him a lot in life. So far, it's only available in Hebrew. Soon, we're going to have it in English, Be'ezrat Hashem. And uh, like I said, this is very recommended to every one of your friends, relatives that are not religious. Do everything you can. It's not expensive. It's going to cost in America $20 only. So it's not, not lo bashamayimi. In Israel, it's costing 60 shekels, even less. But this is it. This is the real thing. It's going to make a lot of the people religious. It speaks about almost everything that the secular people have problems with. But not only secular people, even very religious people need to read this book. It's not only for secular people, because there's a lot of things here from life that connects to the Torah in a beautiful way with stories and all kinds of things. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen. Anyone wants to say Kaddish?